Coming live from Dallas, Texas is Jasmine from Cresco International. You know what they say, everything's bigger in Texas, and that includes the stars we bring on our show today. Here we have with us Michael Peter and Chris McPherson. On the Cresco side, we have Kenny Mobley joining us to discuss what's new in Cognos. I'm going to hand it off to Kenny now. Hey, Michael and Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. But before we get started, I'd like to learn a little bit about both of you and what you do for IBM. So, Michael. Oh, sure. Thanks, Kenny. Um, so I am part of what's known as the partner ecosystem. I work with uh, a variety of our, our partners, such as, as Cresco, um, primarily focused on Cognos Analytics. My history is uh, totally in Cognos. I've gone back to 98 when I started with Cognos and worked with the tool in a variety of ways uh, over the past 20 plus years. Uh, today, I, I'm mostly focused again on working with our partners to help them understand better strategies uh, of how to get the uh, the product into their clients and make it successful. Yeah, and it's Chris McPherson here. I'm the uh, offering management leader for Cognos Analytics, so I lead a team of product managers who are responsible for uh, the Cognos Analytics uh, portfolio, both uh, on cloud and on premise. So, and I'm based in Ottawa, which is where the Cognos uh, Cognos uh, R&D is is uh, centered. Uh, I'm a legacy Cognos person myself, like Michael, um, was with Cognos for uh, since 2005. So uh, I've been doing this a while as well. So it appears that in the last few years, Cognos has lost some traction to rivals like Tableau and Click. What are some of the key changes that are being made in an attempt to change this perception? Well, you know, there's no denying that we lost some market share to those vendors. Um, and, and I think it's important to understand why is a context of where we are headed and the changes that we're making. So this, this market has seen a, a pattern that shifts between IT control of information delivery uh, and line of business doing things on their own. You know, as you know, Cognos was built on user-focused tools like PowerPlay. But as those grew in an organization, IT did IT needed more governance and scalability, so we evolved in that direction. And that made it difficult for the line of business users to get what they needed, so they turned back to desktop tools. And in that cycle, it was dashboard and data visualization tools like Click and Tableau. You know, those are the ones that got the attention. Um, it, what's interesting is we're already seeing the next shift, though. And I think a lot of that is due, again, to a lack of governance, but in particular, the lack of analytics governance. And what I mean by that is organizations are finding that having a tool to easily create a dashboard does not always yield reliable answers because not everyone understands how to do data analysis. You know, our answer to that, and as we look at the future and where we're going to change that perception, as you say, is AI. And, and I think that's why we are working to make AI so pervasive you know, in Cognos Analytics. Uh, Chris, you got some ideas on that? Yeah, uh, you know, as you pointed out, Michael, you know, we really did, I think, lose some market share just around the whole self-service visualization, you know, agenda, particularly on the desktop. Um, you know, we've done a couple of things. The first thing we've done over the past few years is really worked on our self-service and visualization capabilities. So if you're looking, especially with 11.1, so in the past 12 to 18 months, we've made some great progress in terms of the quality and interactivity of dashboards and visualizations. So I think we're... we're you know, we're now at a point where we're able to compete with those other vendors um, by providing these capabilities that are, you know, are give you the same degree of functionality, but with the governance that Michael talked about underneath. But even more importantly, we've put a huge focus on AI and machine learning. Uh, you know, over the past uh, two years, we've done a lot of work building up the foundation and the infrastructure to be able to support these uh, some pretty exciting, you know, AI-driven features, 
And in the past six to nine months, we've really um, been bringing some of these uh, features to market. Things like predictive forecasting, as an example, um, the natural language conversation assistant. Um, these are just you know, automated content creation. These are just a, a couple of examples. But we see AI and machine learning as really an area where, where we can differentiate. Because you know, if you look across the market, um, you know, visualizations and, and you know, dashboards have pretty well been commoditized. Everyone has pretty, pretty visualizations. Everyone has a dashboard. So we see um, AI in particular as a, an area that we can really differentiate and create some white space between IBM and some of our competitors. Chris, I appreciate that. And I want to dig in a little deeper into the, into the machine learning and AI aspects of what you're talking about. But before that, I want to go back and talk a little bit more about the self-serve analytics side. When I was at GameStop, we took heavy advantage of the features within Cognos to move to a self-service environment at GameStop, where it was all in the past, a request to IT and us delivering reporting. We were able to use not only the features that allowed for easy report building and visualizations in Cognos, but also that governance piece, which was very important when you're trying to move that out into an organization, because it's really difficult to just give people data without some kind of governance on how they might use it. I want to ask a particular question, though, about dashboarding. I know that a number of improvements were made, but in your opinion, how does dashboarding differ from reporting? Because I hear people use these terms synonymously, especially if a report happens to have a chart on it. So how should a user think about these things differently and what has Cognos done to improve that dashboarding experience? So we, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we've done a lot of work just improving the overall quality of the visualizations, the degree of interactivity. So I think really that's the use case, the core use case for, for dashboard. It's for someone who wants to do data exploration. Uh, they need a drag and drop. What you see is what you get. Uh, highly interactive experience, and, and that's what we're providing in the dashboard. Uh, we've also built in some of the embedded smarts, uh, you know, that Michael alluded to earlier, uh, but it's really around a high degree of interactivity and something that's very quick and easy for a, a line of business user or, or a new user to get started and start uh, being able to get some value. Reporting, on the other hand, is really designed for someone who has specific requirements in terms of look and feel. Uh, you know, they may be financial reports, but they really need that pixel perfect degree of, of control. Uh, it's also the, the, you know, the answer for when you don't necessarily need to be live, uh, you know, interacting in a, in a very real time fashion with your, with your data. Uh, you know, a lot of the use cases we see are professionally authored reports or, or you know, uh, authored reports that folks just, you know, schedule to run overnight or on, a, on, a, on some kind of a calendar with different prompt values to different audiences and different formats. So um, I think that's, I think both uh, authoring interfaces have a place and, you know, we're one of the few vendors out there that provide both capabilities out of the box, you know, in a single product without anything else to buy or install. Yeah, I, I don't know, Michael, do you have anything to add? Uh, to that? Yeah, I actually kind of agree with both of you. Uh, Chris, you're absolutely right from the standpoint that, that the use cases of reporting uh, as traditionally defined and absolutely are accurate in that regard are different from dashboarding. Uh, but Kenny, I agree with you as well from the standpoint that the th there is a, a little bit of commonality. And in, in, if you look at the intrinsic use case of both, they're really about how do I get the information that I need, right? Um, and it's really a matter of how easy and fast can I get the information I need to answer the questions I'm trying to answer. You know, for a long time, reports were really the only option uh, for that. 
And as the dashboard uh, approach gained popularity and the tools made it feasible, you know, that gained traction, uh, as we talked about before, uh, and it made it easier for end users to find that uh, information on their own to a large degree. Uh, I think we're continuing, as I said earlier, to see a shift in terms of how that information is used and the whole concept of, of self-service, as you mentioned, comes into play. Well, let's explore that a little deeper then, Michael. What to you does self-service mean and how has self-service evolved over the years as we've talked about using users having more capability to create this stuff themselves? But I get the feeling that self-service analytics has a deeper meaning than that. Could you explain it some? Yeah, it, it, it does in my mind, because I, I think that as I was talking about the evolution of Cognos, our focus has very often been on, on quote, self-service. Uh, how can that user find that information? You know, self-service reports were one thing in terms of creating those styles of reports on their own. Uh, same thing with dashboards. And when I, if you think about it from that perspective, self-service is kind of, okay, how can I do something rather than relying on an expert to do it? Um, and the same thing is true of self-service analytics when you use that word as the analytics specifically as the context, but it's, it's different in that when you think about the first two dashboards or reports, that expert uh, usage was really, you know, how do I not write code might be an easy way of putting it. Uh, it was a very functional type of, of expert. When we get into analytics, though, it, it's not how do I do it, but more of the why do I do it. it it's how do I infer things? What, you know, why would I use certain sets of data? What is this data telling me? What, what don't I know? There's so many facets to it um, that really have nothing to do with how I create a dashboard as much as what is this information telling you? And I think that's the big gap that we are, are trying to address. It's finding the, the best insights, the uh, information that's really gonna make a difference to my business, and particularly things that I may never have thought to ask. Uh, th those are the skills that when we talk about the expert in this context, it's the expert of the data scientist, if you will, in this world. So how can we take that, that expertise that a data scientist type of, or, or data analyst, you know, deep data analyst might bring to the table and wrap that into a self-service experience. Chris, talk a little bit about some of the details. I know you're deep on, on some of the specifics we've done there. Yeah, I, I mean, in my mind, the whole, I mean, that's a great explanation, Michael. Um, you know, what I might add to it is, you know, in my mind, self-service means how do I get, how do I reduce the time to value for, for a user? So if a user's coming in, they have a, a question in mind, or perhaps they just want to learn something new or, or get some additional insight from their data, how do we enable them to do that, uh, to give them, as Michael said, you know, the best insight and most reliable insight, but also make it easy enough and, and fast enough that they don't have to spend a lot of time getting there. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what they want to get the answer and, and move on to, to the action, which is what this is really all about, enabling them to make the right decision, smarter decision, and then take the appropriate action. So, I mean, you know, we've done so much in the past couple of years around self-service, uh, particularly in the dashboard, uh, you know, where we have literally, you can start by picking a data source and then simply say generate dashboard and, you know, the product will build you a, a, a dashboard uses a starting point. So it's these types of things that really remove the barriers and, um, you know, just sort of reduce the the entry point for for a line of business user or someone without any kind of authoring or coding experience to be able to identify a data set 
you know, whether it's asking questions or, or dragging and dropping to do data exploration and then get those insights quickly and be able to take action. Yeah, that's great. And it really leads us into the next topic that we're going to talk about. And this is the natural language question feature, which I think is kind of an evolved state of this time to value. I mean, if I can just ask the computer a question and it's going to respond to me, that kind of cuts through everything else and gets you to the point that you're talking about, gets you some insights and answers immediately. So talk to me a little bit about this feature. What is it and what's going on in the background to make these answers feel natural? Okay, so I mean, th this is the conversation assistant that we introduced in 11.1. So it's a natural language processing capability where you can use natural language to questions to interrogate the data source and the tool will provide uh, a response. So it really is a two-way conversation. Uh, you know, we're specific about how we refer to it as a conversation assistant because unlike some other solutions out there, you know, it's not just as simply you ask a question, you get an answer and that's it. Uh, it really is a, a two-way communication where you may get a clarifying question, you may get a visualization as a response, you may get uh, insights to, you know, we've identified these other things that you didn't ask for, you may want to look at that. So uh, it really was designed to be uh, a, a two-way type co uh, conversation between the user and the solution. And that really, really does make it feel more natural. It's, it's not just simply typing in words and, and getting words in response. Um, what we have is a, uh, what we call an ontology behind the scenes. And this is just a, a collection of terms that uh, is constantly evolving but it's, it's a collection of terms that are relevant across all industries. So as you're typing things in, you know, it's recognizing some of these concepts and it's making decisions on what to show you and, and things to identify in your data. It's, it's running all of this in the background and then providing you with the best, best possible answer. Um, you know, the neat thing about this is that we designed it in such a way that uh, you'd be able, it, it's highly extensible. So we, we certainly envision, you know, in the, the not-too-distant future, allowing a, a company in a particular industry or a particular vertical to be able to bring their own ontology so that they have industry-specific terms or perhaps, uh, you know, in a large company, they might have uh, very specific ways of referring to things. And they could bring their own ontology or modify our ontology so that uh, their users get the best possible outcome. In fact, we've, we've had a, a group, at I, another group at IBM, do just that. They've uh, brought their own ontology and have, uh, you know, with some help from us, wired it in so that they're able to ask very specific types of questions and get uh, very specific types of responses uh, based on these the dictionary of terms that they use on a day-to-day -day basis. So a pretty, a pretty cool technology. And, and Chris, the, you know, the thing for me, when we talk about the natural language being a dialogue, uh, it's, it's so much more than just two-way. It's, it's all the natural language context that, that Cognos is adding to the picture now, uh, particularly something like you get into our Explore experience, uh, which I love because it's purpose-built for this type of interactivity, right, versus just creating things on a dashboard. I mentioned that earlier that, uh, you know, dashboards serve that visualization aspect, but not necessarily analytics. Um, you know, it, it gives you all this natural language context about what you're looking at and things you didn't think of. Uh, one of the things I love often seeing is how it will, you know, the chart on the screen says that you can see visually that something is, is higher than the other things on the screen. It will add a simple word like 
or unexpectedly higher, um, then that's indicating those things happening behind the scenes statistically to show that this, this is meaningful. This is not just simply higher, but there's a, a bigger difference there than you might expect. It's that elimination of, of uncertainty, that elimination of bias that I bring to the table um, that, that happens by it giving me all this additional information and in natural language that, that I don't have to think like a data scientist right out of the gate. It's, it's guiding me through that process. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Michael, because, you know, I've had various conversations with customers, uh, you know, over the past year or so after, since we've introduced Explore, and it's amazing to hear how many people actually, you know, their eyes are just drawn to that text. You know, you've got this nice visualization in the middle of the screen, but it's the text that they're looking at and that they're reading to, to get these insights. So, yeah, it's interesting how the combination of having those visualizations with the accompanying text is really uh, uh, just drives home. It's more engaging. It just really you know lets you uh, absorb or uh, you know consume the 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 insights that we're providing in a much more effective way yeah yeah i agree as well as i've seen that it it is fascinating to see it draw insights because of course the reasons that we're looking at the visualizations is to look at them for insights that visualizations could show that perhaps data tables could not so it's very uh, interesting to me to see how y'all have been able to embed that within the Cogno system in order to help users, which leads me right into the next piece I want to talk about when it comes to uh, Cognos and its advanced features on the machine learning and AI side, but that's something that I've heard referred to and I know IBM refers to often as embedded smarts. And this is the feature that learns and adapts to a user's work style. So it's a different way of using this, but I'm guessing it's somewhat similar. But what does this mean to the user, this embedded smarts? So when we talk about smarts and embedded smarts, um, it is a, a fairly all-encompassing term. It's sort of our simple way of referring to a variety of the uh, technologies that exist in, inside the, the product to do all the things that we've been talking about so far. Uh, at its core is, is the concept of AI, right? It's, uh, uh, but it's important to recognize AI, I think the way we look at it, you also have to, to dissect that a little bit. Um, you know, when people hear the term AI, the immediate thought is artificial intelligence, and that deals with the, you know, the deeper data science and machine learning and deep learning and, and things of that nature. Um, but also AI has the context of what we call augmented intelligence, and, and that is very user-focused. That is, how do we um, use the AI, the, the former description, the machine learning and things like that, to augment the intelligence of the user. How can we do things easier for them? How can we do things smarter? How do we, as I mentioned, eliminate bias? Any, anywhere and everywhere that we can take something that a user is trying to do and make it easier for them, um, that's how we can apply the, quote, smarts. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, part of it is learning user uh, approaches to things, but a lot of it is the training we built in already. So. But let's, let's take, for example, um, uh, data visualization, right? There's lots of tools out there that do them. Um, we do them as well. But what's interesting is how much time we spent in terms of training the tool to look at the data in, in a very deep way uh, and understand, okay, with the data this user is requesting, what is really the best way to visualize that? And then it will render the chart appropriately. Um, but we recognize that there's lots of preferences, lots of charts, the options that are out there. Uh, so the tool starts learning. If, if I constantly reselect a different one, I shouldn't have to do that every time. So now 
uh, the, the tool will actually say, okay, instead of uh, a bar chart, I'm going to give you a scatter plot or whatever the case may be, um, you know, because that's what you tend to prefer. And it will constantly adapt to that. So uh, the smarts is all the stuff we've programmed in and, and, and designed into it, along with uh, continuous learning that we're trying to get it to do uh, to address the user uh, work styles uh, that you described. Yeah, uh, that's a great example, Michael. Uh, the the visualization recommender. You know, we're evaluating the data that you selected on on a you know per gesture basis, basically, to to show you the correct visualization at the right time. You know, we do that. That's kind of a, a follow on effect of something we do a little earlier in the process, where when you select your data source, we identify the kind of data types that you're using, and you know, we, we can determine what's uh, what's a measure, what's a category, what's a geographic location, what's a, uh, you know, what represents time, so that we, we can use that information when you're dragging these things onto the canvas and make those smarter decisions to, to give you the best possible visualization. Um, you know, you mentioned augmented in, uh, intelligence. I really do love that term because I think what we're doing is really is just that. You know, you're building, you're dragging and dropping, or you're looking at a visualization somebody else built for you, and you know, without even asking it, we're, the, you know, the product is analyzing the underlying data, looking for patterns, looking for outliers, and uh, predictive drivers, and then giving them access, giving you access to those things, really right in the visualization with the click of a button. So, um, we made some really great uh, and really exciting. Uh, uh, we made some really exciting progress on that topic in the last uh, couple of releases, uh, most specifically with the time series forecasting that we brought uh, out in 11.14, where, uh, you know, literally with a single click, we'll, the product will run a, a number of different algorithms independently to pick the right one so that you get a statistically accurate forecast right in place. So um, that's just an, you know, one example of, you know, what Michael mentioned, augmented intelligence, where, you know, we're not replacing the human mind. We're just showing them insights to make their, their job easier and allow them to make smarter decisions, take better action. Yeah, that's great. And those are some of my favorite features. Those of us that have been in analytics for a long time know that choosing the right visualization and doing the things you need to do to make it look good and be correct can be difficult and take a lot of work. And having some kind of augmented help definitely uh, is something that's valued. And I'm glad that y'all are putting the time and effort into that. I want to talk about something uh, a little bit more practical now, and that's about getting into using Cognos. I think there's some idea out there that using Cognos as a large enterprise tool is very difficult, but is that still the case? How easy is it to get into Cognos these days? Yeah, it's, it, it's funny because you, you, we started the conversation around perception, right? And I think that is still, unfortunately, a perception that people have. To get started with the Cognos, you got to get IT involved and, you know, big implementation, lots of time and effort, and it really doesn't exist anymore. Literally today, anyone can go to, uh, you know, IBM.com uh, or, you know, Kenny, your website and, and, and get started with a trial. Download it, start working with it. It's completely cloud-based. You can get access to your on-prem data, uh, all of that is available to you uh, to get started right away. Uh, you can start with easy as a spreadsheet and start analyzing your data from that way. Uh, but uh, in the nice thing from the trial, free for 30 days, but then you can go on uh, and immediately just transfer that into a, a single user license if you want. For as little as $15 a month, you can start working with Cognos and, and leverage you know, much of the power that we've talked about today. If you want all of it, it's a little bit more, but still uh, it's something delivered on the cloud 
and, and very easy to get started with. And of course, you know, as, as companies grow, if they outgrow what we can do on the cloud, companies such as uh, Cresco can, can certainly help uh, migrate into the larger environments as well. But we're finding you know, so many more people are able to get started now um, just to get access to the tool. Now, once you're in it even, you know, the, the whole idea of how do I use it, we've addressed that with with a tremendous uh, amount of online, uh, right in, or I should say inline tools. So right within the interface, access to videos and tutorials and examples, uh, just a variety of things that help you get over the common humps that we uh, uh, see with users. In fact, we've, we've done a tremendous amount of study watching users use the tool uh, and it's pinpointing those spots where they tend to have issue. And we've addressed that. So that both in the design itself, but also in these tutorials, uh, we've expanded our community on IBM.com. So lots of interactivity with users, asking questions, sharing knowledge. Uh, in fact, very soon we're gonna introduce to there what we call an accelerator catalog, which takes that concept of samples uh, to the next level where there's gonna be a, just an extensive array of uh, different types of content that you'll be able to walk through and use and understand exactly how to solve a problem uh, very similar to your own, right? So very uh, more tailored content to allow users to get access uh, to, uh, uh, again, the types of things they need to get started. Yeah, that's perfect. I really look forward to that. I, I love these accelerators, fast starts, things that help people get up and running. And I bet you a lot of people will learn now that it is easy to start using Cognos in their, in their own environment and it being available on the cloud really makes it not any problem at all to get started and start to take advantage of some of these great features. So. Now that we've talked some about what Cognos is, what it does, how it might be used, what are some of its benefits, I'd really like to ask Chris, what's next for Cognos? What things do y'all have uh, on your plans for the next couple of years? In the very near term, we have a new release coming out probably next week, 11.1.6, uh, um, which is going to have some you know great new features, uh, some enhancements to the the uh, conversation assistance, some enhancements to reporting, dashboarding, visualization. So lots of great stuff coming in the 11.16 release uh, next week. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, on a larger scale or, or more strategic uh, area, uh, you know, we have a handful of areas that we really want to focus on uh, in the coming, you know, year to, year to 18 months. So the first, we talked a lot about AI, and that's going to continue to be a, a big focus for us. Uh, that means both developing our own capabilities, but also uh, leveraging other technologies coming out of, you know, Watson, uh, APIs, IBM Research, uh, and elsewhere at IBM. So uh, we are going to be investing heavily in, in, in AI and just to take those capabilities that we've got to the next level. Uh, the second area is the integration we have with planning analytics. So, uh, you know, we do have a number of joint customers, uh, customers who use Cognizant Analytics for the reporting and analysis, they use planning for the budgeting forecasting, but these two products just have so much synergy and there's such an opportunity there to really get that, uh, get them more tightly integrated so that you can really move from planning and budgeting into tracking and measuring how your plan is executing and then feeding those out outcomes back into your, your planning process. So uh, we're going to spend a, a, a lot of time and effort uh, bringing those two products closer together, making that integration much, much tighter. Uh, and we're also doubling down on our cloud investment. So, you know, Michael talked about our uh, on-demand cloud uh, offering a few minutes ago. You know, we're going to continue to build up the capabilities there because I think we really do have one of the most flexible deployment options uh, in the market. You, as he pointed out, you have uh, on-demand cloud, which you can you know, start with a, a single user, for example. We have our dedicated cloud, we have on-premise, of course, and we have hybrid cloud. 
uh, offerings. So uh, like uh, Cloud Pack for Data Cognos Analytics, for example. So, um, you know, we really do want to invest in, in, uh, in that area and, and really be cloud first so that we, uh, you know, we have the right solution at the right time for our customers who, who are looking to modernize or move their workloads to cloud because we know that, uh, you know, many of them are, are, are thinking about that. Uh, if they're if they're not moving now, they're you know somewhere on their horizon is a a move to cloud, whether it be for cost savings, whether it be for for modernization. Uh, you know we want to make sure we have the the right tools at the right time uh, to help them on their journey to cloud. That's great, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate all the insight y'all have been able to give us today on Cognos and let us look a little deeper, not only into some of the functions that Cognos provides, but some of the things that the team has been thinking about and how y'all make the product better for everybody and some of the thought that goes into that. So I appreciate all that. Thank you so much, Michael and Chris, for taking the time to talk with us today. It was great to hear your thoughts on Cognos. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn under Cresco International and on Twitter at Cresco INTL to stay up to date on the latest news in the analytics world.